0: How would you respond if you saw Jesus crying? Hi, I'm Reverend Darcy, the minister of All Souls Universalist Church. On this fifth Sunday in Lent, I'll be preaching about the power of God's love and compassion over the bondage of sin and death, and how even disbelief in this life cannot separate us from everlasting life forever. If you'd like to join the liturgy, visit the link in the description to download the service materials. Are you longing for love and acceptance? We are All Souls Universalist Church, a network of home-based worshiping communities proclaiming Jesus' gospel of universal love and reconciliation for all souls. You are a beloved child of God. No matter who you are, what you look like, who you love, what you believe where you are from, or how you identify or express yourself. Join us as we journey together following the light of Christ. God says, Seek me while I may still be found. Call upon me while I am near. Let the corrupt abandon their ways, the evil their thoughts. Let them return to the Almighty, and I will have mercy on them. Return to God, for I will freely pardon. Isaiah 55, 6-7 Our God be with you. Our God bless you. Come, O light of the world and fill this place and your people with your spirit of love and compassion. Drive away all of the darkness of fear and doubt in our lives and replace it with courage and faith. May we become a reflection of your compassion and love in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Open our lips, O God, and our mouths will declare your praise. To the ruler of ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Come, let us sing joyfully to God. Raise a shout to our rock, our deliverance. Let us come into God's presence with thanksgiving and sing our praises with joy. For Yahweh is a great God, the great ruler above all gods. O God, in your hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks are yours. Yours is the sea, for you made it. The dry land as well, for your hands formed it. Glory to God, Creator, only begotten, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us profess our common faith in our God. We believe in one God of love, light, and life, creator of all things, whose only begotten, Christ Jesus, has liberated all people from sin and death, making us all one family of equal members, commanded to love and serve one another. This God demands justice from all people, but shows mercy in equal measure restoring all souls to God after sanctification in this life or the next. This God is revealed to the whole world by the Holy Spirit and is bound to us and to all creation by the mysteries of faith. To this one God, Creator, Only Begotten, and Holy Spirit, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Today's psalm is Psalm 130, that we shall read responsively by alternating whole verse. Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh. God, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice, my cries for mercy. If you kept track of our sins, Yahweh, who could stand before you? But with you is forgiveness, and for this we revere you. So I wait for you, Yahweh. My soul waits, and in your word I place my trust. My soul longs for you, Yahweh, more than sentinels long for the dawn, more than sentinels long for the dawn. Israel, put your hope in Yahweh, for with Yahweh is abundant love and the fullness of deliverance. God will deliver Israel from all its failings. Glory to God, creator, only begotten, and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A Lesson from the Book of Ezekiel The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and it carried me away by the Spirit of Yahweh and set me down in a valley, a valley full of bones. God made me walk up and down among them, and I saw that there was a vast number of bones lying there in the valley, and they were very dry. God asked me, Mere mortal, can these bones live? I answered, Only you know that, Sovereign Yahweh. And God said, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. Sovereign Yahweh says to these bones, I am going to breathe life into you. I will fasten sinews on you, clothe you with flesh, cover you with skin, and give you breath. And you will live, and you will know that I am sovereign Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and all these bones came together, bone to matching bone. As I watched, sinews appeared on them, flesh clothed them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then God said to me, Prophesy to the wind, prophesy, mere mortal, and say to it, Thus says Sovereign Yahweh, Approach from the four winds, Breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them. They came alive and stood upon their feet, a vast multitude. Then God said to me, Mere mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. The people keep saying, Our bones are dry, our hope is gone, and we are doomed. Prophesy therefore and say to them, Thus says sovereign Yahweh, I am going to open your graves and raise you up from the dead, my people. I will return you to the land of Israel. When I open your graves and raise you up, you, my people, will know that I am Yahweh. Then I will put my spirit into you and will return you to life, and I will settle you back in your own land. Then you will know that I, Yahweh, have spoken and made all this happen, says Sovereign Yahweh. Listen to what the Spirit says to God's people. Thanks be to God. O God, show us kindness and bless us and make your faith smile on us. For then the earth will acknowledge your ways, and all the nations will know of your power to save. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations shout and sing for joy, for you dispense true justice to the world. You guide the nations of the earth. Let the peoples shout and sing for joy. Let all the peoples praise you. The land has given its harvest, God. Our God has blessed us. May God bless us and may God be revered even to the ends of the earth. Glory to God, creator only begotten and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. A lesson from the gospel according to John. There was a certain man named Lazarus who was sick. He and his sisters, Mary and Martha, were from the village of Bethany. Mary was the one who had anointed the feet of Jesus with perfume and dried his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. The sisters sent this message to Jesus, Rabbi, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. It is happening for God's glory so that God's only begotten may be glorified because of it. Jesus loved these three very much, yet even after hearing that Lazarus was sick, he remained where he was staying for two more days. Finally, he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. They protested, Rabbi, it was was only recently that they tried to stone you and you want to go back there again? Jesus replied, aren't there twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk by day won't stumble, because they see the world bathed in light. Those who go walking by night will stumble, because there is no light to see them. After Jesus said this, he said to the disciples, Our beloved Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to Judea to wake him. The disciples objected, But Rabbi, if he's only asleep, he will be fine. Jesus had been speaking about Lazarus' death, but they thought he was talking about actual sleep. So he said very plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sakes, I am glad that I wasn't there, that you might come to believe. In any event, let us go to him. Then Thomas, the twin, said to the rest, Let's go with Jesus so that we can die with him. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Since Bethany was only about two miles from Jerusalem, many people had come out to console Martha and Mary about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary stayed at home with the mourners. When she got to Jesus, Martha said, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I am sure that God will give you whatever you ask. Your brother will rise again, Jesus assured her. Martha replied, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And those who are alive and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Martha replied. I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, God's only begotten, the one who is coming into the world. When she said this, Martha went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here asking for you. She whispered. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up and went with him. Jesus hadn't gotten to the village yet. He was at the place where Martha had met him. Those who were there consoling her saw her get up quickly and followed Mary, thinking she was going to the tomb to mourn. When When Mary got to Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, If you had been here, Lazarus never would have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the other mourners as well, he was troubled in spirit, moved by the deepest emotions. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, they said. And Jesus wept. The people in the crowd began to remark, See how much he loved him. Others said, He made the blind person see, Why can't he have done something to prevent Lazarus' death? Jesus was again deeply moved. They approached the tomb, which was a cave with a stone in front of it. Take away the stone, Jesus directed. Martha said, Rabbi, it's been four days now. By this time there will be a stench. Jesus replied, Didn't I assure you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Abba, thank you for hearing, having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd, that they might believe that you sent me. Then Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb, still bound head and foot with linen strips, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus told the crowd, untie him and let him go free. Many of those who had come to console Martha and Mary and saw what Jesus did, put their faith in him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. God, you have liberated your people and given us the promise of peace, because we have seen the Savior you've revealed to the whole world, the light of the world who dispels all darkness and illuminates your faithfulness to us. Glory to God, Creator, only begotten and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. God of life, in your hands are the fate of the whole of creation, and only you can truly free us from the certainty of death. Strengthen our faith, so that by it we may be crucified with your only begotten, and filled with your Spirit, dwelling forever in union and harmony with you. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. Our God be with you. Our God bless you. Let us pray. God in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your reign come. Give us today tomorrow's bread. Forgive us our sins, for we too forgive everyone who sins against us. And don't let us be subjected to the test. Almighty God, We pray for our family throughout the world that you will bind us together by your Holy Spirit so that we may live in unity and love so that those who do not yet believe may know that we are your disciples. God, hear our prayer. Be with this congregation that we may be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ loving and serving our community, and faithfully proclaiming the gospel of, by loving and accepting all of your children. God, hear our prayer. Be with those who hold civil authority on the earth, that they may do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before you, so that the people of all nations may dwell in safety, And that the peace which only you can give may reign throughout the earth god hear our prayer be with your creation o god that we may be faithful stewards of this planet taking good care of all that you have entrusted to us so that we may glorify you in the plants and the animals and the heights and the depths that you have made god Hear our prayer. Remember, compassionate God, those who cry out to you. Heal those who are sick. Comfort those who mourn. Dwell with those who are alone. And welcome those who have died. So that all may be assured of your ever-present love and compassion for all of your children. God, Hear our prayer. Beloved, I would like to invite you to voice your own concerns now, either silently or aloud. God of grace, who has given us this new day, give us strength throughout our busy day so that we may resist the powers of darkness and sincerely proclaim your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Gracious God, we thank you for all that you've done for us and for all that you are going to do for us. We thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ and for your daily presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Reveal your love and faithfulness to us this day so that we may reflect your light to the world in faithful witness of your love and acceptance of your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be with us, O God, during this time of fear and uncertainty. Guide us by your light and give us wisdom to see the lessons you are teaching us in this time of trial. And grant us grace to accept your answer. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. I'm an ugly crier. My face gets all squashed and like an accordion and my nose runs like a tap, but thankfully when I have a good cry it's short-lived. Now, normally, I tend to have what I call a mournful weep instead of a real cry that consists of a few tears and a heavy heart that lasts for hours. Now, this may be visibly preferable to a good, hard, ugly cry, but emotionally, I think I'd rather have it over and done with. I also tend to not have a good cry in front of people. I prefer to throw myself on my bed like a Disney princess and share my sorrows only with my pillow and my close woodland friends. Occasionally, I do cry in front of people, and the result is quite startling. I remember the first time I cried in front of my best friend, and he just sat there paralyzed with shock. He said to me later, you're such a strong person, I was literally afraid to see you cry. Now, I wonder how the disciples and Mary and Martha and their posse of mourners felt when they saw Jesus cry. Just picture it, this strong, powerful person they'd witnessed face the wrath of the Pharisees and temple authorities without emotion, and then have seen perform these wonderful signs and miracles without even batting an eyelash, And, and suddenly he's displaying raw human vulnerability. Now, many of them may already believe he's the Messiah, the Chosen One of God, and they're shocked to see him in tears. Why should the Almighty show this human emotion? Indeed, in all of my years as a reader of the Gospels, I, as a secondhand observer, can only think of one other time when Jesus' human emotions came out in a stunning way that is the clearing of the temple so my my takeaway is that only really terrible things get Jesus emotional. With that in mind, there are three clear responses to Jesus's tears that that we can glean from this Gospel lesson. The first is that of disbelief or skepticism. They say he gave sight to the blind, yet he didn't save his friend. Even Mary, who earlier in the gospel has sat at Jesus' feet and shown great faith, has said to him, if you'd only come, you'd have saved him. Even Jesus' own disciples seem skeptical. The entire time they discussed their impending trip to Judea, not one said anything to indicate their faith that Jesus would heal Lazarus, one way or the other. Even when they find out that Lazarus is dead and Jesus is still determined to go and do something, there's not a statement of faith that Jesus can do the unthinkable. In fact, the only thing any of the apostles' sa- disciples say is, is Thomas's cynical statement that, well, we should go and die with Jesus at the hand of the Pharisees. Then, of course, is the other response. Well, he must have really loved Lazarus to be crying so much for him. Now, this response is an outright denial of Jesus's godness of, and of his power to breathe life into Lazarus's dry bones. They see Jesus's emotion and, and correctly see it as raw human grief, but they don't acknowledge the raw spiritual power and life-giving potential that lies before them. They clearly do not see Jesus as the Christ, the Savior of the world, for if they did, they would surely remember the prophecy from Ezekiel when the prophet sees God restoring life to dry bones. This parable of a valley of long dead bones being restored to life is in fact a foretelling of our restoration to God, made possible by the life and death of Jesus Christ. It's a clear statement that our God of life has full power over the dead as well as the living. That whatever hold death has over us is nothing in comparison with the Word of God and its power to restore life even to the driest of bones. But I think the most poignant response to Jesus comes from an unlikely source, Martha. In earlier gospel narratives about Mary and Martha, it's Mary who's the one who's shown to have a strong faith. While Martha is the archetype for those who can't see the forest for the trees. That is, people who can't recognize the transformative power of God's living word because they're so distracted by the things and the worries and the cares of this life. Yet in this story, the gospel turns Everything we know about Martha on its head, it's Martha and Martha alone who acknowledges that Jesus has the power to raise her brother from the dead. It's not the faithful Mary or Jesus' disciples who have been with him every step of his ministry that vocalized this, rather, it's Martha, Martha who earlier complained to Jesus that Mary spent all of her time listening to his teachings instead of helping her in the kitchen. It's this woman who has total faith in Jesus. Martha tells Jesus two things. First, that she knows that Jesus could have saved her brother from death. She recognizes what the skeptics do, that Jesus can perform miracles. Yet, the second thing she tells him speaks volumes. I'm certain, she says, that God will do whatever you ask. Now, she doesn't vocalize her hope that he's going to raise her brother from the dead. She trusts that Jesus can and will do the right thing. But there's no belief. Belief isn't knowledge. Belief implies that another explanation may be present and you just happen to believe this one, to to pick this one as the most plausible. Belief is changeable. Martha doesn't believe that Jesus can do the unthinkable. She says that she is certain that he will. Certainty, unlike belief, is immovable. Martha knows beyond any doubt that Jesus can and will do whatever he wants because God will be the one behind his actions. And it's in his reply that Jesus sets the stage for the rest of the gospel and the crucial, the central crux of our Christian faith. Death is not a finality. Jesus teaches us that because of him, we may be raised from death into new life. That whatever the world may throw at us, COVID-19, for example, our soul is not lost forever. Death is only a temporary jail in which sin may hold us and torture us and make us fearful. And with that, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, while on the surface, Jesus' discussion about resurrection and life may apply more specifically to Lazarus and maybe more broadly to the resurrection of our bodies, the deeper meaning lies in the spiritual realm. Sin, we believe, is a state of spiritual death, and as we discussed last week, it's a form of blindness in which we cannot see ourselves or other people or the world in the way that God does the way that God sees us, and the way that God sees the world, and God sees the people in the world. Sin doesn't separate us from God, but it does disconnect us from our ability to recognize and give, and to give ourselves the love and acceptance that God is already giving to us. When Jesus says he's the resurrection and life, he's not merely speaking of a physical resurrection of our bodies, a resurrection from physical death back into physical life. Rather, he's speaking of our restoration, the restoration of our souls to spiritual life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Those who believe in me will live, even if they die. Now, let's take apart the statement. Jesus is teaching that our soul the thing that gives us, gives us our, our essence, our life, everything about us is wrapped up in our soul. That is not tied to our body. Our belief in Jesus and our belief in his promise of eternal life is not tied to our body. It's not tied to this, to our physical life, to what's going on right here, right now, but to our soul and to our spiritual life. So even if our body dies, our soul will live on. He doesn't stop here. Jesus also says, and those who are alive and believe in me will never die. Now, what does this mean? Thousands of years have passed since Jesus made this statement. And pretty much everyone who's lived since then has died or will die. Not even pretty much everybody. Like, it's an, it's an eventuality. We know we're going to die. So what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying is that those who physically die in a state of grace, that is those who leave this life, this physical life, having believed in the promise of everlasting life will never experience spiritual death. They will be drawn immediately into the loving and forgiving embrace of God. But those who were physically die in a state of spiritual death, that is those who leave this life either not believing or having rejected the promise of everlasting life, are not separated forever from the ability to believe and the inevitability of salvation. Think about that. What we do now, our belief or lack of it in this life has no bearing on our ability to believe and to be saved in the next life. That when the physical is gone, the spiritual lives on. And the spiritual life and our soul has the ability to do all of the things in that spiritual realm that we can do now in the physical one. It's belief alone that restores spiritual life. And Jesus makes no indication that our belief is tied in any way to the things we do in our physical life. Rather, if the story of the resurrection of Lazarus from physical death teaches us anything, it's that our spiritual resurrection into new life is contingent entirely upon the actions of God. We have no idea if Lazarus believed or not. We do know that without Jesus, Lazarus would have been bound in the prison of death forever. For this reason, Lazarus can be seen as a symbol of those who die outside of the state of grace. and his resurrection can be seen as a foreshadowing of both Jesus's, of both Jesus' destruction of the gates of hell and thereby death, as recounted in First Peter 3:19 through20, but also of God's perpetual response to the unsaved and punishment in hell. And that is that God doesn't leave us to linger forever in death. God's response to our state of spiritual death is weeping. Not as a lot of people would have you think, satiated anger. The purpose of hell is not to eternally punish people because they didn't or couldn't believe. I have news for you. We're in hell now. Welcome. Hell is merely a spiritual experience of our separation from oneness with God. Hell in the next life is merely a continuation of this spiritual experience of sin's power over our soul without the fluff of the physical world to make it bearable. Jesus wept not because he was sad for the loss of Lazarus in his life, When we mourn for people who die, we're not really mourning for them. We're mourning for us. We're sad that they're gone, that we'll never have them to talk to or to be with again. And that's not why Jesus is weeping. Jesus mourned Lazarus because he knew his friend was imprisoned in the worst of all prisons. And this demonstrates to us clearly what God's response is to those who are lost. God mourns those who are lost because God wants them to be free from the bondage of sin. Jesus' response to his grief is the same as God's response to liberate God's beloved from the prison of death. Next Sunday, we're going to recount the coming of the Savior to his place of execution, his willing sacrifice, his passion for all creation that enables us to have this spiritual life now and to be liberated from the power of sin and death now. And over the course of next week, we'll journey through Jerusalem with him on his way to Golgotha on his way to death. And as we approach that cruel hill, where he suffered injustice and humiliation and an agonizing death of slow suffocation, I invite you to remember what it was in aid of your liberation, your redemption, your salvation. Not because of anything you've done or can do, but because of what God is doing right now and what God will continue to do until all are free. Not because you are so good, because none of us are, are really that good, but because God is good. Now, belief isn't merely accepting the promise of eternal life. The promise of eternal life is that if we believe, we will be changed by our belief. We will become a living image of Jesus Christ. And it is that image, that being an image of Jesus Christ, that actually is what saves us. It's not enough to just say, Well, I believe. You have to be changed by your belief, to be transformed by your belief. And so as we approach Easter, I invite you to repent of the evil that you have done and the evil done on your behalf so that you may be crucified with Christ now, becoming a living image of him as he transforms you by the power of God's Holy Spirit and brings you into eternal life now. But regardless of what happens, regardless if you really believe now and if you're transformed now, you're not lost from God. Never will you be lost from God. Not now, not when you're dead, regardless of what you have done or what you will do. Because God is going to save you from the clutches of sin that keeps you from seeing just how perfect and accepted and loved you are right now in this moment. God's invitation to repentance isn't simply an invitation to change, an invitation to turn or burn. It's an invitation to surrender your fear and your pain and be liberated from it, to change not who you are, but to become a better version of yourself, To become a better version of the person you are right now. The person God made you to be. You don't change and then you believe. You believe and then you are changed. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe and trust. If Lazarus is a symbol of lost humanity, then Martha is a symbol of humanity's hope and faith. Martha didn't know what Jesus was going to do, but she trusted that he would make all things right again. Beloved, we don't know what God is going to do, how God is going to save us, or how the experience of God's grace will transform our lives. Like Martha, we need to begin this journey with God. And all we need to do is to trustfully surrender ourselves into the loving compassionate hands of God. Beloved, if you are ready to surrender, to be transformed from the bondage of sin and death into liberation, the liberation of God's love and acceptance, join your heart with mine as I pray for us. Loving God, thank you for never giving up on me, even when I reject you and run from you. I repent of all the ways I've run from you and your love by hurting myself and hurting other people. And I surrender my whole self to you. Now, as your child, I place all of my trust and my hope in you through Christ my Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, you've promised to be present where two or more are gathered together in the name of Jesus and that all we ask in his name will be answered. You have heard and we trust you shall answer. Give us grace to accept the answer you give and send us out into the world in peace to love and serve you to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My friends, may the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the friendship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forever. Thanks be to God.